Um, So this morning, we're beginning a new series within our year of biblical literacy, and the focus of this series is called The School of Life. Uh, Many of you who are following along in the year of biblical literacy have just finished the book of Job. And Job is uh, part of the wisdom literature in Scripture. And uh, in the Hebrew Bible, it works like this. Um, these, these three books are grouped together, and it's the book of Proverbs, which is very black and white. This is how life is. You know, just you do this, you get that, right? You do good, you get good. You do wrong, you get wrong. Then there's Ecclesiastes that says, eh, I'm not sure if that's really the way that it is. It seems actually that the righteous suffer and they die just like everyone else. And then there's Job. And it's a story to let you see how this unfolds. Um, And so we're going to be kind of covering these uh, topics for the next number of weeks. And this morning we're going to be talking about how to go through pain and suffering. Now, I personally have experienced some um, pain and suffering in my own life. Many of you guys know uh, one of the biggest moments for Grace and I is when um, our daughter Evelyn was diagnosed with um, a congenital heart disease 12 hours after she was born, and we were just thrown into a whirlwind of um, despair, fear, and all that. And so we've experienced that. You guys surrounded us with prayer and encouragement. By God's grace, we came through that without um, destroying one another and destroying our lives. Um, But I haven't really lived that long, and I haven't experienced that much. And... um, God in his goodness and his care for this little fellowship has brought along a couple, um, and many of you have met them, but Mike and Joan Wilcox, and they actually have experienced a lot of suffering. Um, I would say that, like Jacob, few and evil have been the days of Joan and Mike's life, just listening to their story like, wow, that's heavy, and that's also heavy, and you guys lived through that as well. And so, given Mike's background as a clinical counselor, his years in ministry, his years in um, pastoral ministry, um, I thought it would be appropriate for him to come and speak to us on the subject of pain and suffering. And then next week, he'll come back with part two of how to approach God in pain and suffering. And so, one thing, student ministries, if you haven't left already, because I totally forgot, you can be dismissed. And then, secondly, would you give a warm welcome to Mike this morning? You know, I sit here listening to Char and, I, and to Britain before that and thinking, yeah, the same thing. If we could uh, just say thank you, Lord, and head on to our homes. Um, there's probably not much... Uh, or or there's uh, not many things that I would like to avoid more than I would like to avoid preaching messages like this. You know, I can think of lots of things like filling out my tax returns uh, than to stand here with the task of opening up what God says to us about living well in pain and suffering. I mean, it's just something that is ingrained in me. I imagine that you have your own version of it that would say, you know, this would just better be avoided. 
You know, Char, couldn't I have the series on peace and prosperity? Couldn't I have the message on how richly God is going to bless us? And how this life is going to be nothing, you know, but a Disney fantasy come to life. And that I will get to be the princess. But somehow it doesn't work that way, and somehow, as, as, as the leaders of refuge have chosen to say, you know, we've been looking at some serious questions in this year of, of trying to take this book to heart. Or, as we were so often reminded in the early days of this year, uh, using the words of one of the wise men of God to say, take this book, eat this book, make it a part of your everyday experience, let it nourish you, let it flow through your body like food and drink that keeps you alive, like the blood that pulses through your veins to give you life. And so as we've branched out into this, we've been asking, I think, questions like who? Who is God and who am I? And, and that who question is a vital question to ask. And we've, we've asked what questions. What is going on? What is God up to? What is it that he's doing in this world? What is it that he's doing with you and with me? And then we've moved on even to some of the more difficult, more challenging why questions. Why would God let this be so? How can it be that, that he would allow evil to come into his world? And in all of that, we've set our minds with some foundations that are true, and then we always come back to saying, yeah, but what about my life? That's all wonderful information. Those things are true, and they're solid, and I can stand on them, but what about living life? And so now we come to the how questions. With this, with this focus on the school of life. How do I take what God has said to me? How do I take this book that is this nourishment for my life and put it to work in my life? And especially today and next Sunday, to ask the questions of ourselves, how can I live well with pain and suffering. And then next week, how can I connect well with God in the midst of pain and suffering? Now, I, uh, it would be interesting to take a little survey, which I'm not going to do. I don't encourage you to raise your hand, but uh, you can if you're so moved. Anybody here who could say to me, no matter what your age or stage in life, where you're at, where you're from, where you're going, could anybody say, I have never had an uncomfortable experience in my entire life? I mean, try to imagine, try to look the person next to you in the eye and lie to them and say, no, I've never been uncomfortable. It's always been great. Life has always been just what I imagined it would be. Everything's gone smoothly. 
in reality, you might be like one of the clients that I uh, meet with weekly these days whose favorite phrase is, oh, Lord, have mercy. Uh, now, we're working on that because I think that might be just a defense he uses to avoid the things that are troubling him, just shouting out, Lord, have mercy. Uh, and yet, that's the experience we find ourselves in. And so, if you, uh, if you would listen for a moment, open your Bible if you want to. I'm not, uh, I'm not ahead of the game and high-tech enough to have everything up here on the screens as we go along, so I invite you to listen or read in your own, in your own Bibles. But in the first chapter of Job, we see that uh, God has gathered the messengers, the angelic beings that he's created. He's gathered them around. It's like a uh, heavenly staff meeting going on. And lo and behold, uh, Satan, the deceiver, the destroyer, the one who has his own agenda to undermine God's purposes, the one who would like to be God himself and is significantly jealous because he can't be that, comes along to that uh, staff meeting. God asks him where he's been. He says, well, I've been walking back and forth through the earth. And God says, I've got one of my children down there. One of my servants, his name is Job. Have you seen Job? Have you seen how well he's doing? And the enemy asks a question that I think plagues each and every one of our hearts when we look at ourselves and when we look at each other. Yeah, but wait until something goes wrong. Job has it so good right now, but just wait, God, and you will see when, when something difficult comes into his life, he's going to turn on you, God. And so God says, well, go ahead. I give you permission to give it a try. And so Satan goes out. From the presence of the Lord, and in Job chapter 1, verse 13, we begin to read the story this way. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, uh, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. Now, by the way, if, you know, here we are in the 21st century. Uh, do anybody, any of you actually own oxen? How about donkeys? Okay. So you can't put your head in this unless you can think back to the ancient world and remember that to have oxen and to have donkeys was to have great wealth, to have the ability to have the tractors you needed to work your farm, to have good produce, to have what you needed to eat through the winter months. The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans, the enemies, attacked and made off with them. And then they took all your servants and they killed them with the sword and I'm the only one that escaped to tell you. And at that point, if we're reading with our eyes open and our hearts open, we're going, oh, that's terrible. And if you don't feel that, 
read it again. (laughs) Read it in another translation. Read it until you can feel it. Let somebody else read it to you. Uh, Go on to Bible Gateway and choose the UK version of the NIV and click on the audio and let David Suchet read it to you with a British accent. Do something so that you can hear it because after that first paragraph, you've got to be feeling for Job. And then we see what so often happens to us when it comes to pain and suffering. Verse 16. And while he was still speaking, before Job had time to catch up with that problem, messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens. Uh, We lived in Florida for almost 11 years, uh, and central Florida takes more lightning strikes per year than just about any other place in the world. Okay? But this has got to be some lightning storm. The fire of God fell from heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. So there goes your clothing, your wool supply, some of your meat, some of your food. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And verse 17, And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties. They swept down on your camels, and they made off with them. And they put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one left to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their brother's house. And suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they're all dead, and I'm the only one who escaped to talk to you. Can you begin to feel in the story of Job a reflection of your own story in some way? You know, I think that in the story of Job, and if we went on to chapter 2, we'll find the same scenario created again. Satan comes to God. God says, what have you been up to? He said, check out Job, God says. Satan says, yeah, okay, all this stuff happened outside of him. Now let me attack him personally, his body, and we'll see what he does then. And so just if Job hadn't had enough, he breaks out in boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And the only treatment he has available is to sit and take a broken piece of pottery and scrape at these boils until the pus and the blood come out. And that's what he's reduced to. You know, think about how many kinds of suffering there are. There's illness. There's tragedy. Uh, The loss of a child. Miscarriage. Stillbirth. Illness in your children. Financial tragedy. Loss of a job. Expectations and hopes that are not met. Relationships that end. Uh, (laughs) 
one of the rare privileges of being a clinical counselor is I hear every imaginable story of the things that can plague people's lives. Childhood pain of abusive growing up years, social rejection, bullying, grief, loss, death of somebody you love. Joan asked me this week, asked me actually yesterday, is it going to be hard to preach this message uh, if you haven't known yet? My mom died four weeks ago on Friday. There's current pain and suffering in my own life and in my family's life. And Joan asked me, is it going to be hard to preach this? And being... (laughs) (laughs) the avoider that I am. I said, a little bit. And I had to get up this morning and say, well, I kind of lied to you. Not, Not an intentional lie, not meant to deceive, but not letting myself experience. I won't take the time this morning, though I could share with you and would happily share with you, and Joan would too, the stories of much pain and suffering in our lives, uh, as Char mentioned. You know, I'm not here so much as a theologian or an expert on human psychology and mental health. I believe I stand here as someone that God has trained in this life school. And that he has integrated this word into my life, into my wife's life. And, and we would welcome conversations with you. Don't hesitate. In some cases, it may be rude to walk up to someone and say, Hey, I'm Mike. How have you suffered in life? Uh, we would value that for you approaching us. Please do. Okay. But I invite you for just a moment... And I'm going to pause for just a silent moment, thinking of the story of Job, thinking of the little bit that I have shared so far. Look into your own life. See if you can identify, highlight, mark, underline stories of pain and suffering both current and in the past. Just for a moment. Look inside your own story. Let's bring our thoughts back together again in the scriptures. Uh, you know, I find it uh, I find it interesting that uh, these days it, it's interesting how God th- sets things up. I don't I forget when we put this on the calendar chart, uh, but certainly it was before my mom died. 
I didn't know I'd be standing here mere weeks after my mom died, after a long and vicious illness. Uh, and then our announcements this morning are about a very hopeful event where we can take hope and share it with each other. And then I just think of God's humor in uh, planning that there be a bake sale out there and sweets in the cafe so that we would, you know, intake sugar and we'd come in at the beginning a little livened and, and, and even jittery and that by the time we got to the seriousness of God's word, we'd all be drifting off to sleep. So I thought I'd wake you up with a promise of God. Because there's something about when we're in pain and suffering, and many would come to us, and many versions of church life and sermonizing would come to us, and many Christian self-help books would come to us and say, just take hope. Uh, God is there. He will take care of all of this. And I want to read you a promise of Scripture from John 16, verse 33, where Jesus said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And we think, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Jesus promises that we'll have peace. Uh, that's great. That means I'm not going to have any trouble. We define peace in our own way. And then Jesus follows it up with his divine promise to us, in this world, you will have trouble. How's that for a, you know, hang that on your, uh, put that on a bumper sticker. Put that on your bathroom mirror as today's promise from God. In this world, you will have trouble. Mike, it's Sunday morning, you're going to have trouble. It's Monday, well, of course, you're going to have trouble on Monday. It's Tuesday, it's Friday, the end of the week. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says. So take heart. I have overcome the world. And the how-tos that we'll be continuing to look at here have to do with what it means when Jesus says take heart, I believe. Uh, How many of you, when you're in times of difficulty, pain, suffering, uh, would rather just avoid it. Just pull back. You know, if you don't think about it, it's not there. If you, or we could, we could go with the Buddhist approach. Life is suffering, and, if, and so if you want to not have pain and suffering, just stop desiring everything. Don't desire anything, and then you won't suffer. You'll never be disappointed if you don't want anything. Uh, Tried living that way. That's a pretty crappy way to live, actually. You see, to, to suffer is the human experience. What did God say to Adam in Genesis chapter 3? Okay, it's time to go out of the garden. You ate that fruit that I told you not to eat, you, you and your wife shared it with each other, you sought to be the ones that knew everything from good to evil, you thought you could be God. Go out and live trying to be God. And so you're going to go out and you're going to plant plants, you're going to plant seeds and grow them just as you've been doing here in my garden. 
And when you plant them and they begin to grow, the ground will produce thorns and thistles. Anybody like gardening? Uh, which is easier to grow, the nice plants or the thorns and thistles? Okay. And God says you will then live getting the produce by the sweat on your brow. Okay. To be human in this broken world, to suffer is the human experience. C.S. Lewis said, um, we were promised suffering. These sufferings were a part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accept it. I've got nothing in my life that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when the thing happens to oneself. Not to others, and in reality... It happens not in your imagination. <laughs> so the, the first tendency we have when there's pain is to avoid it. Now, I won't go into, because this is not a psychology teaching session nor a mental health teaching session, uh, though we've just wrapped up Mental Health Awareness Month in May. Uh, important time in my experience and uh, something I'm very passionate about. But take it from me, avoidance is not a good approach. People who avoid end up either depressed or addicted or anxious and end up needing clinical help. If you seek to avoid, you will need clinical help. I can almost guarantee it. But what God invites us into instead of avoidance, talk about how to live well with pain and suffering. Instead of avoidance, we need to move toward acceptance. Uh, listen to Paul in... 2 Corinthians. Some of you who came when we did the workshop on bearing one another's burdens uh, have heard uh, this passage referred to. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And by the way, we're going to do part two of that. Um, we'll talk in just a minute about the mental effects of pain and suffering. And one is, you know, you get your brain gets unfocused, and if you want, Michelle, you have freedom to speak truthfully. You can ask Michelle how many e unanswered emails to me she has regarding part two of the workshop on bearing each other's burdens. Um, but I did mention this in that first workshop, Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Uh, Paul says this, we are hard-pressed on every side, and we are not crushed. Your Bible might say, but, because the translators from Greek into English don't know what to do with this. It sounds so counterintuitive. But Paul is not saying here we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. He says we're hard-pressed on every side, and we're not crushed. Both things are true at the same time. 
we are perplexed and we're not in despair. We are persecuted and we are not abandoned. And the passage goes on. One of the hows that God teaches us how to live well in the midst of pain and suffering is this. Do away with the word but and adopt the word and. You see, here's, here's what happens in, the, uh, in, in pain and suffering. You go through it. If you go through it like Job, <laughs> have you noticed this? It comes in waves. It's no sooner one thing than it's another, it's another, it's another. I, my, as my mom was living her last days and her illness was stealing more and more of her brain and body function away from her, and then my dad gets a serious infection that they can't explain, they can't put their finger on it, and, and so he gets hospitalized. How many, twice, three times? He, it, 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 was, it was like, God, how much more? And as you'd feel that, Pain, suffering, challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge. The result is stress. Stress is like a weight that pushes down upon us. And because of God's marvelous creation of the brain and the body, your brain begins to respond. Your brain responds by producing neurochemicals that God has designed for your benefit and for his glory. Among them is cortisol. Uh, Now, there's others. Adrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine, go through them, serotonins. The brain produces these for your well-being. Cortisol has a particular effect because something like adrenaline, it comes in and it burns off. Cortisol comes in, and it just keeps hanging around. Thus, it's gotten the name, the stress hormone. Floats around, has a long life in your body system. Cortisol has the wonderful effect by God's creation of God using it to tell your brain, look, something bad is happening, be ready for action, And it switches off all the other, or turns down, all the other parts of the brain. So under constant pain and suffering, your brain is operating, ready for action. And things like your prefrontal cortex, where you think carefully, and you make decisions, and you decide what is wise, and what is true, and where you listen, to the good people around you, and you listen to God, all those brain portions, the volume is turned down, the capacity is filtered, highly filtered out, and you operate out of the middle of your brain. How wonderful is that if a lion is chasing you? How awful is that if you're married to a wife if you work at a place with other people, if you go to school with peers, if you have children, 
if you're trying to get your taxes filled out. To only have your midbrain working seems more like a curse than a blessing of God's design. And what happens in those times of pain and suffering, and I'd invite you, okay, we'll be more like the children. Be like a child, Jesus said, okay? Get your hands, get them up and free, untangle them from the person beside you, all right? Take your hands, put them up over your eyes, and just leave a little crack to look through. Come on, I don't want to see anybody not doing this. Of course, I got my hands up, so maybe I won't see you. (laughs) This is what happens by God's design when I experience pain and suffering is my world becomes very small. And to live well with pain and suffering, I need to be reminded that although the world looks very small to me right now, I need to be reminded gently with love and kindness and grace that there is a much bigger story going on than this hour, than this day, than this number of weeks, months, even years of my life, there's a much bigger story going on. You see, Job didn't know this when he was going through it. And as far as we know, God never did explain to him this whole backstory of the enemy coming to the heavenly staff meeting and saying, I wanna, I'm going to test Job after God tells him what a good and righteous man Job is. And Job is inclined to say, pardon me, but what the hell is God doing? And, and his so-called friends that come along basically bang on that drum. What the hell is God doing? And it's the wrong question. The question is, what the heaven is Satan, God's enemy, doing with God's permission here? Let that sink in for a moment. There's your next bumper sticker. What the heaven is Satan doing? There's a much larger story going on, and Job can't see it. And the friends ought to have come and reminded him. His wife, bless her little heart, just says, well, curse God and just die. Just die. You've got to wonder if she's maybe been trying to get rid of him for years. And it's like, (laughs) the moment has arrived. (laughs) Make a good, uh, you know, murder mystery or something. But what Job needs to see is there's something larger going on. What we need is to be able to see that there's more than this slight, narrow glimmer to life. I already mentioned saying and instead of but. Yes, there is this glimmer, my problem. And... Here's something I could be thankful for. 
and here's something that's going well for someone else. In fact, when one of the effects is that we fall into uh, what we might call thinking traps, because the brain is experiencing this shutdown process of the executive functions of the brain, we fall into thinking traps, cognitive distortions that in which we think wrong about the world about us. And so we fall into seeing only the negative, for example. Filtering out anything even potentially positive that might be happening and seeing only the negative. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not avoidance. I am not inviting you to say, ah, it's not so bad. Don't lie to the people around you as I lied to Joan last night. Ah, a little. My mom died. That's not a little on top of everything else. I must clearly see and accept that negative and be able to say, and this is good. And I'm grateful for that. And here's something else God is doing. And here's somewhere someone is experiencing joy. And here's something that's encouraging me. We fall into the traps of black and white thinking, uh, which is similar to that. It can only be good or it can only be bad. It can only be hard or it can only be easy. I can only be sad or I can only be happy. And I would contend, no, God has created us and a world and his work within that world where I can both be happy and sad at the same time. How about this uh, thinking trap, personalizing it? Oh, woe is me. Everything happens to me. No one else. And I really shouldn't be mocking about this because it feels very real in the moment. No one else is going through this kind of thing. No one else feels this way. Nobody knows how it feels to have gone through this much. No one else knows what it feels like to have the sucky marriage that I have. That's not true, by the way. <laughs> I'm not telling my story at that point. Just, just for clarity's sake. No one knows what it feels like to have gone through this. It's personalizing. It's seeing it only through myself. Uh, listen, Adam went through pain and suffering after the garden, the thorns and thistles. Listen to this story from 1 Kings chapter 19. I wondered for a while if I could hit every book we've read through so far in Yobel. And I thought (laughs) there wouldn't be enough time. I asked, uh, I asked Char when he usually tries to end, and he gave me a time, and then I got up here, and I realized there's, not, there's no clocks in this place. <laughs> Hope you're ready. We can go on for a long time. First uh, Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 3, 
Elijah has just heard, after a great triumph on top of the mountain, where God really proves himself amazingly and miraculously to be God, uh, Elijah gets word that Jezebel is going to try to kill him. Now that'll get your cortisol going. And so, logically, he goes on the run. He was afraid, it says in verse 3, and he ran for his life. And he left his servant in Beersheba, and then he carried on, went out into the wilderness. He parked himself under a tree. <clears throat> and then you begin to see <clears throat> the thinking traps he's falling into. And so he begins to pray that he can die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, no better than the ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank, and he lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord, probably a manifestation of the Lord himself, before Jesus came into this world as a human being, he came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Well, you could pause right there and resonate with that. And so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 more days, and then he goes and lays in a cave, as it turns out. <laughs> See how the answer isn't simple? He doesn't just get up and, whew, got over that. Now there's no effect of that pain and suffering on me. Still happening. He goes in the cave. God asks him, what are you doing here? This is the situation then where there's thunder and lightning and earthquakes, and he doesn't hear God in all those big and surprising things. And then a gentle whisper. God speaks to him again. See, Elijah began to get this narrow version. He began to personalize he began to catastrophize. He began to fall into other thinking traps like I should. If I was just a better prophet, if I was just a better servant of God, if I just had as much faith as Char has, I wouldn't be feeling this way. You see, the pastor's the only one you can call on in a sermon because, you know, if I call anybody else out, I'm getting myself, setting myself up for trouble, but Char is fair game because <laughs> he stands up here and shares his own self. Yeah. If I just had, I should, I should be able to. What is God's response to Elijah? It's the ultimate in simplicity. Here's some food. Here's some water. Get some sleep. I 
you know, it doesn't take rocket science. It just takes God science. The way God created us. Elijah, this journey is too much for you. Here's some food. Here's some water. Get some sleep. Let me address for just a moment as we wrap up what it is that we can do as we enter into someone's lives as they're walking through pain and suffering. Being aware of this, you know, there's something about uh, coming to them. In fact, uh, Joan and I were talking even this morning in the car on the way over mentioning someone at my mom's graveside service. And this was, uh, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, his best way of saying, I want to help you in your pain and suffering. At my mom's graveside service, he came up and he said, oh yeah, my mom died a couple of months ago. Okay. How comforted did we feel by those words? Zip. None. Okay. Remember, my prefrontal cortex isn't working very well. I can't think, oh, he means well. He's just trying to let me know he understands. I can't think second and third degree out. In the moment, what I hear is, oh, you think your problem's bad? Let me tell you, I know what problems are. That's what I hear. Okay. Uh, any of you ever experienced along comes someone, they've got, you know, dog-eared pages on Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for them that love God, for the ones who are called according to his purpose. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the most profound books I've read on connecting with people who, in this case, are, are uh, living with grief, uh, but it would apply to living with other kinds of pain and suffering as well. Uh, Stephanie Whitson, who lost her best friend, both of her parents and her husband within a brief uh, couple of years period of time uh, wrote in her journal during that journey. You know, if one more person quotes Romans 8.28 to me or some other comfort cliche, I am going to scream. I know Romans 8.28 by heart. I can read it in Greek. I have it memorized in French. It doesn't help. All I want is someone to listen to my pain and maybe give me a hug. I haven't had a hug in a long, long time. You see, the only thing Job's friends, remember these great friends, they say, hey, Job's having a rough time. Let's go down there. About the only thing they got right was the first seven days they just sat on the ashes with him and kept their mouth shut. That was the wisest thing they did. Once they started into problem solving, game was over. And finally, God has to step in and say, what's all this blathering hot air going on here? You know, let, let me talk. 
what can we do when we're in pain and suffering? We can pray. How much do you feel like praying when you're in the middle of the roughest times of your life? Really, be honest, be authentic before God. Answer it to yourself. How much do you really feel like praying when things are going badly? I think this is why the book of Psalms is here. God says, here's 150 pre-printed prayers that you can read when you don't know what to pray. But maybe reading's a problem. Remember, cortisol, brain fog, even reading and concentrating could be a challenge. And so maybe you need somebody to read it to you. Ask Joan about being in the hospital in Indonesia, kidney stones, threatened, and I use the word intentionally, threatened with surgery the next morning. Uh, You know, we as missionaries, we had a book that was supposed to advise us. The book title was Where There Is No Doctor, like you could do your own little simple doctoring of yourself and your family. And so in Indonesia, we changed the title in our own minds and amongst ourselves to say, where there might as well be no doctor. Uh, Because to go to the doctor was to take your life in your hands, and certainly to have surgery, especially in those days in the developing world, was not a bright prospect. I had no idea what to do. We had no idea what to do. Joan laid there. Uh, I watched her IV so I could call the nurse every time the IV ran out because they just parked her and didn't check on her anymore. And so I, unknowingly, I'm sure it was God's guidance, I opened up a Bible and I began at Psalm 1. And throughout the night, I read to her the entire 150 Psalms aloud. And there was comfort in that. I needed to pray and connect with God. I did not know how to pray. Joan needed me to pray with her and for her. I did not know how. You can listen to music. Uh, it's a good time for the blues, okay? Good time for uh, box cello concertos. It's a good time for music that brings up emotions. It's a good time to watch a program or a movie which ironically is sad and let the tears come and wash in the catharsis of life. It's a good time to be meditating. Uh, And in case you're worried there has to be a right way of meditating, in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, the word for meditate is hagah. And that comes from the sound that would be heard if people were meditating. So you might walk by someone and hear, it's just mumbling God's word to yourself. 
Your brain needs simplicity. And so you could take a passage like Psalm 23 and a simple way to, to mumble it, to meditate on it, is to simplify, simply emphasize each word in sequence, okay? So take the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay? Put your brain in action. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay? Working with the brain, the, God, the way that God designed it to connect with God. Okay? Because the steps we take is to not travel this place alone. We're not meant to travel pain and suffering alone. And therefore, we need to experience connection with God and as I've said, connection with other people. And wouldn't I love to stand here and say, and if you do these things, first you'll get the diploma from the School of Life and all those clinically, technically speaking, yucky feelings will go away. And I would just close with this. Stephanie writes, I'm remarried now. Life is good. But my love for my new husband is neither replaced nor diminish my love for Robert Thomas Whitson, her first husband. I wish he could be here to talk late at night with his sons, to teach Sunday school classes, to cheer on the football team. When our first grandchild is born, I know I will cry because I'm crying now even while I write this. God has given me a new love for a new mate, but it is a new love. The old love remains. No one will ever fill that Robert-sized hole in my life. Jesus promised that his burdens are light and I have been in grief long enough to experience his lightening of my load, but it is a lightening, not a removal. The emotions of loss are still there, just on the other side of today. Sometimes those emotions punch open the door between the past and the present. Sometimes they march into my life and remind me of what I've lost we do not close the door on people who've changed our lives forever. We celebrate what they mean to us. So in the closing of this book on grief, I want to say that closure, in the way most people mean it, does not exist. We gain new friends, have new children. Uh, uh, we remarry. The pain of loss becomes less. We learn to live around it, but we still carry it. And sometimes it returns in full force and we find ourselves crying years after what the world around us assumes we have accomplished what culture calls closure. This is painful, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It is part of being human. It is a part of loving. 
and being loved. And yes, it is worth it. God, you have promised us in your son who felt everything, was tested in every way just like we are. And in that son who felt it all, you have promised us, yes, we will have trouble. And at the same time that we can take heart because you are the owner and overcomer of this world. And while in this world you do not promise to remove our pain and suffering, you do promise a lightning. And we come to you for that lightning. And we look forward to listening to you again next week and hearing more about how we can connect with you in pain and suffering. Take us into this week with your promises and your care. Amen.